Okay, that's better. Got to remember to click the button. Yeah. Um, so I am blessed and honored to be before you folks today. Um, for those who are visiting, um, we welcome you. I know that Aaron has already done that, but we're hoping that you would be able just to have a snapshot, a picture of what God's doing for this body. Um, it is genuine. It is loving. Um, it is no hold bars. And I love each and every person in this room for that. Absolutely. Um, so many prayers, right? So many prayers that went um, into this week of preparation for me. And I thank all of you for praying. Um, I got up this morning and my phone went off and I was like, what's going on? And so I looked at my phone and there was a text and then there was another text and there was another text. And the next thing you know, I had five texts. Thought something was wrong. It was all people praying. And so praise God for that. Um, because your love and your encouragement has been a blessing to me this week. Um, and it has been spectacular. I want to thank Aaron and the praise team for um, a fantastic job of just ushering us in the worship. Um, because it's a blessing every single day that we have to go before the Lord and to just thank him, praise him, seek him. And so where we're going to be today um, is going to kind of center around that theme of what it looks like to be a believer, what it looks like to be a part of God's family, what it looks like to be a child of the Lord and a part of Christ's new humanity. And so before we do anything else, let's go before the Lord and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you for this day, Father, for your blessing, your mercy, and your grace. Um, Lord, it is such an incredible thing that um, you, God of all creation, the author and the finisher of everything that we know, everything that we see, um, that you would love us, that you would care for us, that I, not only would you know every hair on our heads, Father, but you would know our hearts, our desires, um, that you would correct us and, and put us on straight paths, Lord, when we're off and Father, that you would give us encouragement and love when we're on. Father, I just ask that in this time you would help me to die of self and move out of your way. That you would um, just bless this time for those who are in the congregation right now. That they would hear from you, Lord. Um, that there would be a unique and piercing word that would come from you today. Um, that would bring that person closer to you. And Father, I just pray um, that you would just help all of us understand who you are and the majesty that is Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I want to start today um, with our text, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And so I'm going to quickly read that, and then we'll get started. So verse 3, I mean, verse, chapter 3, verse 1 reads, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sinful immorality, I mean, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now you must rid, but you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filth from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is all. Amen. And so before we move forward and dive into the text today, I just want to take a moment to go backwards a little bit. Last week, Drew did a phenomenal job of, of just kind of ushering in, uh, helping us usher into the fact that we are no longer slaves to the law. 
that we're free. And in being free, we have opportunities to eat and to drink. Um, I particularly appreciated the eating part of that. Um, but we have opportunities to eat and to drink, um, not having to worry about any ramifications of that. But as I was um, going home with Jess, and I love my wife, and um, she is definitely um, my better half, um, she looked at me and said, do you think you can eat and drink anything you want to eat and drink? Because <laughs> if you think you can eat and drink anything you want to eat and drink, then we need to have a conversation. And the reason why I say that is because even though we have the freedom to eat and to drink, we also have a responsibility, ladies and gentlemen. And the responsibility that we have is to our Lord and to our Savior. And that responsibility, I think, is, is very much outlined in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13, verses 13 through 14. Okay, we're going to get this thing right. Um, which reads, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And so as I appreciated the message that you brought last week, I was also convicted by the fact that in that, I cannot eat ho-hos. I cannot drink certain things because those things for me are a stumbling block. And I also recognize that there are certain things that I have the freedom to do in my life that may be a stumbling block to my brothers and my sisters. And so in that, praise God for the freedom, but please, please give me the strength to be able to lay that freedom down at the foot of the Lord and to let him use me in whatever way he sees fit so that whatever freedom that I have, let it be rubbish. Let it pass away so that I might glorify God and I might move forward the gospel. And, and, so, and so, ladies and gentlemen, that is the foundation that we have within this book. A book that, that in chapter one focuses on Jesus as the exalted Messiah. And, and then in that same chapter, Paul shows, you know, how his suffering is for the exalted Jesus, right? And then we move on to chapter 2, which, which basically outlines the pressures and the temptations that the Colossians had to turn away from Christ, to turn away from Jesus. And so now we're here in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we see that there is a new way of life that Jesus' resurrection has opened up for the Colossians. But not only has that opened life up for the Colossians, but it's opened life up for every single believer of Christ. And so, and so one of the things I will say to you folks is that, that when we follow Jesus Christ, when we make the commitment to our Lord and Savior, we need to understand that that, that commitment means that we are joining a new humanity. We are no longer who we used to be. But we are a new thing now. And, and, and because our lives have, have been joined with the risen Christ, Paul, Paul has laid out a challenge for us within that first verse of chapter 3. And that challenge is for us to set our minds on things above where the Messiah is seated and rules at God's right hand. Now, I've got to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, when Paul talks about setting our minds on things above, He's not necessarily talking about the fact that one day we'll all go to heaven as believers. That's not what he's talking about. But rather, he's talking about today, right? He's talking about the life that we have right now, right in front of us. And, and, so, and so rather than look at things through our lens, we need to be looking at what God would have us to see, right? And so rather than having our selfish, sinful natures lead, we should be looking for God's perspective, Right? We should be seeking what he desires. And the way that we do that, the way that we find those things, is by looking to him. Looking to heaven. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, speaks to this and it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. And it goes on. And it goes on to say that whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that tells us what we should be setting our minds on. We don't have to seek it. The word of God makes it clear. This is what we should be focused on, right? And as we move forward, we see that Paul's challenge for us is to live as the kinds of humans that we will one day become. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are not at glory yet. But praise God. Praise God. He has given us the opportunity to walk towards that. Right? And in that, as Paul is doing that in his encouragement, he's using the image of all humanity. And this humanity is, is, is not necessarily what I would call a good thing, right? Because in that description, he uses sexual immorality and destructive speech. And as I search my own heart, as I look at myself, I am not what I used to be. But I am not there yet. And I'll say that again. I'm not what I used to be, but I am not there yet. Because Paul's point in doing that and looking at the old is that our old humanity and sins died on the cross with Jesus. Drew did an excellent job of illustrating that last week, but our sins are nailed to the cross and that's where they stay. And so we walk in the forgiveness that God has given us. But then the question is, do we take it? And if we do, what do we do with it, right? Because in order for us to really move away from the old humanity, we need to understand what the new humanity looks like. We need to understand what life with Jesus is like, right? And so in this new humanity, we find that, that mercy and generosity and forgiveness and love. And so importantly, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These are all things that earmark what the new humanity looks like. And they are all benchmarks for us to be able to look at our lives and to examine exactly where we are right now. Because I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the blessing of, of, of Christ's family is that it goes beyond ethnic and social boundaries. It, it, it looks at, at not who you are as a Greek or a Jew, whether or not you're circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. But in that new humanity, we are all of the beloved God. And being of the beloved God, he in turn has made us his beloved. We are his beloved. So what I want to do now, ladies and gentlemen, is take a moment just to kind of continue to unpack exactly what that old man versus new man concept looks like because I got to tell you ladies and gentlemen when I got up this morning and looked in the mirror I didn't feel like I was beloved of God I didn't feel like I was worthy knowing that I was going to come here and stand before you folks I knew that I was broken but I got to tell you praise God for the fact that regardless of what I see in the mirror, it does not matter. Doesn't matter. All that matters is how he sees us. All that matters is that we embrace how he sees us and that we move in the power that he's given us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what matters. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul declares... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that would be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. But if you're listening to that, maybe you have this question like I had this morning, right? And that question is, if this is true, that in Christ we are a new creation, then why do I continue to struggle with sin? 
Why do I find myself not able to, to, just, to just embrace the things that God has given me, to do what he has asked me to do? Why am I still struggling in the way that I struggle? Shouldn't I be free of, of the temptations that rule over my life? And I will tell you folks this, that every believer, new, mature, young or old, all of us will face challenges that are persistent, and based in sin. And, and, and if you've ever met somebody who says that they're completely, completely over sin, please check that person into a hospital as quickly as you can. Because there's some sick people. Especially if they profess themselves to be believers in Jesus Christ. Because I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, none of us are perfect. We're all in a struggle. And, 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 and part of that that we have in front of us is that, 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 that when we become this new thing, and we become a new thing, there is no doubt about that, but when we become this new thing, the part of our struggle is that God doesn't destroy our old things, right? He doesn't destroy our old memories, our old habits. We still know those things. Even as a new thing, we still know the old. And when he recreates us in Jesus, we still have those things in front of us. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we have a point of choice then, right? Even as the Holy Spirit indwells within us, we have a point of choice. That's what he's given us in the new. Right? He's given us an opportunity to make the right choice. Because the result is, is that our new identity as defined by God can conflict with our own. Maybe we are from a background that, that has no church in it. Maybe culturally we've struggled with some of the things that we found within this body. Those are all things that, that we remember in our new. And we carry those things forward. And, 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 so, and so as these things unfold, as the new and the old come together, they, they can cause a conflict, Right? And, and then within that conflict, there is an ongoing battle between the spirit and the flesh. And if you don't believe me, I'll point you folks to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, which outlines that battle. And, and one of the things that all of us would really, really, really love is, is, is just this point, right? Is that, is that why can't it just be instantaneous? Why can't God just take it all away? I mean, I mean, we look at Genesis 1, 3, and, and when God said, let there be light, it was automatically light, right? It was automatically light when he said, let there be light. So, so why the struggle that we have right now? Why, why are we still trying to apply through the same thing? We're still trying to find our way. And, and I would say to you that in the process is the blessing. Because, ladies and gentlemen, as we walk through this life, as, as we struggle with, with the new and the old, there's a little thing called sanctification that we have in front of us right now. And I know sanctification is one of those big churchy words, and so, and so let me unpack that for you really quickly, right? And, and what sanctification really means is, is, is that Jesus died on the cross at Calvary for us. And in his death, he basically was the benchmark. For all that we are, and all that we do, and all that we should aspire to be. Right? And so when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about the fact that we've been set apart to be able to walk towards Christ. That, that in us right now, we are not even close to where we need to be. But God gives us the opportunity and the blessing by giving us life every day to be able to get up and to aspire to that standard, that mark. And praise God, he's still with us even when we do not meet it. And he allows us to continue to move through life. And, and I've got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that there's been some days when I have not wanted to move through life. When I've wanted to stop. But his hand has been upon me and so he keeps me moving. And so that, ladies and gentlemen, is a picture of what God does for us. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it, he still makes the way 
for those who need help. And, and so when God says, I declare you to be holy and spotless, infinitely worthwhile, lovable in my sight, this is the identity that we should hold on to, no other. That is why we have to set our eyes on Jesus and seek first the kingdom of God, the truth of God's word, and to die of our former selves. And believe you me, I know that's not an easy process, and I know that's extremely hard. But that is what we have before us right now. And there is such a blessing in doing that. Because we do not have the strength within ourselves to do anything else. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could have helped yourself, you would have helped yourself years ago. That thing that you're struggling with right now, if you could have overcome it, it would have been overcome. The only thing that you have that will ever be able to help you get to the other side of what your struggle is, regardless of what it is, is Jesus. You do not have the strength. And I will give you that as encouragement. Because, because one of the things that we have before us, one of the things that we can do is, is that in this newness that God has given us, we can kill the thoughts and the desires that lean towards sin within us. We can kill them. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, we've been called to kill them. We must kill them. We can't keep them, ladies and gentlemen. We can't pet them. They are not a house pet. If you keep that sin in your life, if you shove it aside, tuck it in a corner, it's going to grow. And as it grows, it's going to become overwhelming for you. And maybe in that growth, you will then cry out to Jesus. But why not do it now? Why wait until later? John Piper said, all occasions of sin must be avoided, which includes lust and the love of the, Lord, the world and covetedness, which is idolatry, love of present good and of outward enjoyment. It is necessary to mortify our sins, which means kill our sins, because if we do not kill them, they will kill us. The gospel transforms the soul and supports the reason and the conscience over appetite and passion. And I'll repeat that. The gospel supports the soul via the Holy Spirit and supports conscience and reason over passion and appetite. That's important to remember, ladies and gentlemen, because this is not about emotions. This is about the truth. The truth as presented by the Lord. And so what we find here is, is that, is that as we understand these things, and as we move out into the world to bring the gospel to the people who so desperately need it, we need to understand that we are no better than those people. Right? We are just like those people. We are not doing them a favor because we are not giving them anything of us but what God has given to us. Right? The only power at play in reaching out to others in the gospel is the fact that God is using you as a tool to do it. That's the only power at play. And that's what it means to be part of Christ's new humanity, is that not only do we take the blessing, but then we share the blessing and then we multiply. And we multiply. And we multiply. Not to make ourselves feel better. Not to assuage our guilt. But, but because that's what we've been called to do. And because we love the Lord. And we show him our love through our obedience. And, and so part of all of this is that in that, we're able to then take the gospel to all the nations. We're able to share the word of God. And we're able to make sure that others who were just as broken as we were at the moment where we met that gospel can have access to the living water that is Jesus Christ. Because I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that, that there are a lot of dirty cisterns out there in the world. There are a lot of dirty cisterns out there in the world. And people think that's the only drink that they have. And if we're selfish and we share the water that is Jesus, then maybe we're sipping on a dirty cistern too. And I'll just put that out for you. 
So in unpacking Colossians 1 through 11, there are a few things that presented themselves in, in this particular passage for me. Um, the first thing is mind heavenly things. And that particular section for me is found in Colossians 1 and 2. And again, I'll read that to you if you didn't catch me around the first time. And that passage says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We've talked about setting our minds, but what about setting our hearts, right? Because I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the mind can drive the heart. And the heart can drive the mind, right? And so in order for God to, to fully have us, he needs both. It's not one or the other, but it's all of it at once. And, and so in this we find that, that there, is, there is a way that we do that, right? And, and the way that we do that is, is by thinking and meditating and reasoning and inquiring. Um, what does God's word have to say about these things? How do we find out what his will for us is? Because there's a little verse that goes something like this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I think Matthew 6.33, which is where that comes from, ties in nicely to verse 2. And the other thing that we need to realize is that much of this life that we call Christianity, this, this life that we live right now as believers in Jesus Christ, a lot of what we face right now is a mental exercise, right? And, and so it's essential that we renew our minds every day. Because if we're not mentally prepared for what comes in that day, then guess what happens? We lose a battle. Not the war, but we lose a battle in that day. If I'm not mentally prepared for what comes that day, then maybe I don't step into the blessing that God has for me at that moment. Romans 12, 2 says, is, is an excellent reminder of what this looks like. And it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because a lot of what we're talking about right now, ladies and gentlemen, is surrender. We're talking about trust. And the last time I was before you, I was talking about the topic of trust. And, and one of the things that I tried to emphasize in trust is, is that we can trust God because we have a good God. Right? We can trust God because God is good. So why don't we set ourselves on God as we move into our day? Why do we trust ourselves more than we trust him? In chapter 1, Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And it is by that knowledge of God that, that a Christian is transformed. Paul also says in verse 10 that being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator, that, that opens up the door for everything that we desire. That, that opens up the door for everything that we should want. But what is it that we desire? And what is it that we want? Because there's a lot of times when I feel like we, as its people, can get back at God because God didn't give us what we want. He didn't perfectly answer a prayer that we prayed. Or he didn't give us exactly what we strove for in that day. And so in that, instead of looking at the potential lesson that was in that situation, we looked at what we did not get. And I think for me personally, that's absolutely a point of conviction. Because concepts like love and justice and holiness and grace and other attributes from God, those, are, those should be our foundation, right? Those should, be, those should be how we live, not just words. But when we talk about forgiveness, what does that look like for us? Because if we're going to claim Christianity, if we're going to put ourselves into that position, then should not we be aligned with God? Should not we be aligned with Jesus and the expectations that they have? Because all those words that I just gave you, love, justice, holiness, grace, and those other attributes of God, 
they should all lead to this. Praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. Because if we are in praise and thanksgiving, then the rest of chapter 3 starts to fall in line a little bit, right? Because we got to remember how this starts. If then. If then. It's an if then statement. And that's what you say. It's an if then statement. Meaning that if the things that come before are true, then this should happen. Right? And this leads me to my second point. My second point is, is that we died. And that would be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Um, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Ladies and gentlemen, as I stated before, we died with Christ on the cross. The old us is gone. So praise God that we now can reappear with him in glory. That's the new thing. Right? As the new man. And, and, and so in that, Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes him who is sent, who has sent me, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We work in reverse, ladies and gentlemen. We were dead, and now we're alive. We were dead, and now we're alive. We were dead, and now we're alive. We work in reverse. We weren't alive before Christ. We were dead before Christ. We're alive now. And this is where we should stick our flag. But, but one of the questions that I have for you folks, and, and I have for myself as well, how concerned are dead people with the affairs of the living? Right? How concerned are dead people with the affairs of the living? Meaning that sometimes we as Christians have an expectation that the world's just going to accept us for who we are and move our agenda forward. Am I wrong on that? Sometimes we want the world to align with us. And so as the world is pushing us out, we look around and we say, why are they pushing us out? Why wouldn't they? Right? We are not like them. We are not like them. We're a new thing. But, 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 but instead of us embracing the fact that we're a new thing, understanding that we're being pushed out, and that is, a, that is a point of honor for who we are as Christians. We fight and complain. I do it too. Because the world is not treating us fairly. We, we look at ourselves and we say that we're, we're persecuted. Maybe. Yeah. I get it, we are. But so was Christ. And so, so in the persecution that we find in this world, as we move forward, the identification that we have of being pushed to the side, that is firmly a part of who we are as Christians. And, and, and Paul would tell you, that's a reason to rejoice. Paul would tell you, that being persecuted and pushed to the side, being stretched, being put under pressure is a reason to stand up and praise God. Not a reason to buck, not a reason to kick, not a reason to scream, but it's a reason to praise. Right? For this world in its present form is passing away. And I would like you to be free from concern. That's what Paul would say to us. In fact, that's what he did say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 32. But for the sake of time, we'll move on. The third point is that we need to crucify our flesh. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, we see that it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and, gr- and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Or as Galatians puts it, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and its desires. we got to put this stuff to death, ladies and gentlemen. I've already talked about it. Don't want to browbeat it. 
But please, please understand that we've got to put our sin to death. And again, a sin for you might not be a sin for me. I might be able to watch an R-rated movie and be okay. You, however, might not be. And how do we measure a sin? A sin is that thing that will come between you and the Lord. That is a sin. And so, as Drew is eating his ho-hos, and I can't eat a ho-ho, the issue that I have is that, at the end of the day, a ho-ho becomes an idol for me. Right? And so, in crucifying my flesh, I need to understand where my boundaries are. I need to understand what I can and cannot do, because as Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 says, no more or impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater and has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Part of my being a Christian is maybe I don't want these things. Part of my, what I need to do as a Christian is recognize that even though I may desire these things, these things are not good, and so I move away. Right? I move away. And so that leads me to the next point, which is control your tongue. Colossians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says, You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Notice he said used to. Yeah, that's a qualifier, right? So we're not supposed to do that anymore? Yeah. I don't know about y'all, but there are some days that's a little bit of a struggle. I could be the only one. Could be the only one. But I'm thinking, damn, no. No, not so much. Not so much. And, 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 the, reason, and the reason why he does that he says used to is, that's a reminder of where we should be. I mean, this is, this is similar to the list that he gave in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And that says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Once again, he's bringing us back to that point, right? Which, which is that we should have no lifestyle that involves sin outside of us expelling it and encouraging our brothers and sisters who may be in it to move out of it, right? We should not pick up and have relationship with that. And, and, and so what we find is by, by verse 8, we should see a lifestyle that's forming. And that lifestyle is pretty much the foundation of who we are as a Christian. Because, because by verse 8, we start to see that, that things like anger, rage, malice, they have no place in God's kingdom. They're about us. They're about how we feel. They're about some hurt, some pain, some, some level of, of disconnect that we've had with the world around us. And, and this is how these things play out within us. And so we use the, the anger and the rage and the malice as a platform to be able to express ourselves in the way that we want to do it. Because really and truly, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's, not, it's not the feeling of the anger or the feeling of the rage or the malice. It's what we do with those feelings that becomes an issue at the end of the day. See, see the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is, is that we take those feelings and then we engage with other people in relationship instead of taking them to the Lord. But then we want to stand on a foundation of, of being men and women of God. But, but, but even at our point of disconnect and our point of strife and our point of struggle, we can't even go before the Lord because even we feel ashamed. We feel unworthy. We feel like we have no place there. Drew last week talked about the fact that we can go before the Lord and cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. But in these things, we fully understand that we are not in our Father's will. Not at all. And so what do we do? We took our heads down into our chins. And we try to pretend like nothing ever happened. I can honestly say to you folks that when I feel anger, when I feel rage, repentance is not my first choice. When I am struggling, 
going before the Lord and asking for forgiveness so I can move forward is not always the first go-to that I have. And yes, we have mountains to overcome, like that little voice inside of us that says, you are in the right, but the voice of the Lord should be louder than the little voice that we have inside of us, right? Because sometimes it's about me, and it should never be about me. The next point is to tell the truth, and that goes with Colossians, verse 9 and 10. And, and, and there what we find is, um, there are verses in Ephesians which very much parallel that. And those verses are Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. And they say, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Lord, I want to know. There are some days where I don't know how to get it. And I, all I need to do is cry out. And in my spirit, it's a struggle. But praise God, he's there. He's there. And, and, and so, one of the things that I need to realize is, that I am beloved. How many of you folks struggle with taking a compliment? Anybody in the room struggle with taking a compliment? Oh, so all you you good with a compliment, huh? If I walk up to you after the service and be like, you're a beautiful person, you're going to be like, thanks, Kenny. I appreciate that. I, I, think, I think that every day when I look in the mirror, like I'm great. So nobody in the room struggles with that. Well, I, will, I will put that out there and say that I struggle with taking a compliment, right? I don't know what to do with a compliment. Don't know what to do with one. Somebody gives me a compliment, I want to turn around and walk away. Only thing is, I don't want to be rude, so I just stand there and look awkward. <laughs> so if you give me a compliment, I look a little bit disconcerted. You understand that I don't know what to do with what you just did to me, right? <laughs> I'm not saying not to do it. I just don't know what to do with what you just did to me. God and his blessings are constantly giving us a compliment. God in his word has told us what he looks to, what we are to him. It's like we can't take it. We can't take that compliment. And so even though God calls us beloved, we look in the mirror and say, no, 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 Lord. That, that ain't true. That ain't true. Right? So one thing that, that I would encourage us to do as we look at this point of telling the truth is, 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 is it's understanding what the truth is before we get to the point of telling it to someone else. Going to God's word, rooting ourselves in that word, making sure that we understand what the truth is before we move forward to even have a conversation with someone else about it. Understanding who we are, what our strengths, what our weaknesses are, what we struggle before we even begin to move forward. Right? Because I got to be honest with you, if I'm in the foxhole with any of y'all, I know what my weaknesses are, so you best ask real quick. Like, Kenny, if certain things happen, will you run? It'd be good to know. Just warning you. It'd be good to know. Right? And finally, where it reads yourself for prejudice. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, by burying the Scythian, Slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. With respect to salvation status, all there is is Christ. As a pastor stands before you and preaches, is he greater than you? No. All there is is Christ. Right? I'm feeling inadequate. I need to move forward. Um, but I, I just can't find it in me. And I look at myself and I, and I see this wretched thing. What we need to realize is that all there is is Christ. And would you look at Christ and say that? I don't think so. So if you don't have enough in you to step into who you are, to step into him. And that's what Paul has found through the epistles, right? Time and time again, more Christ, more Christ. I want more Christ through his struggles. More Christ, more Christ. Give me more Christ. 
Paul realizes, models the fact that we do not have enough in us to get us to where we need to be. So he cries out and he says more Christ because that is his baseline. That's where he starts and that's where he ends. His joy is rooted in Christ. His sorrow is rooted in Christ. His struggle is rooted in Christ. And so really and truly, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about us. But then we knew that, right? But maybe the context of, of it being about us has shifted a little bit for you. So in closing, I have a brief video that I want to show some of you. I want to show all of you, rather. Some of you may have already seen it, but I apologize if you have. But um, it's basically the foundation of our closing point. So we're going to go ahead and roll that video, um, and then we'll close. Thank you. And so in closing, what I would say to you folks is,
But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. I don't think there's any better example of what it looks like to be a part of Christ's new humanity than that young man. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled, so humbled. As stated before, there is nothing that we, we can ever do to deserve what you've given us. But you love us. And so in that love, Father, I just ask that you would help us to empty ourselves. To move away from the old. Whatever that old may have entailed. To be able to forgive those who may have wronged us, Lord. So that we would be free. Free to embrace you. To embrace what you blessed us with and your son and the gift that he brings. Free to forgive others. That we would not be held back by our sinful and deceitful hearts. But we would have a heart that is aligned with yours. And that the things that we desire and the things that we seek will be the things that you desire and the things that you seek. Please help us move closer. So that we would be minimized. And that when the world sees us, it sees you. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.